I love, I don't know if y'all read Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, but she has this fantastic analogy of like, we're all living in this old house and it has like faulty wiring and not enough insulation and leaky pipes, but we love the house because it has a lot of character and a lot of great assets, but it, the infrastructure was done wrong. And mm. we are living in that house now and we are responsible for fixing it even though we did not cause the, the problem pipe. Welcome to The Race to Social Justice, a podcast that explores the myriad racial and social challenges facing the modern world with your hosts, Kiva White and John Kepner. Thank you for being part of the courageous conversation, because when it comes to combating social injustices in America, it is not about being confrontational. It is about being conversational. So let's go ahead and get, let's jump in. I think this is good to jump mm -hmm. right in. So uh, this is awesome. I'm so excited. I can't, you know, I, I, I can't believe that we're actually here doing this. Conceptualization to conversation. And that's why I'm so excited to be here today. So welcome everyone to our Courageous Conversation and the Race to Social Justice podcast. I am Kiva White. And as you can see, I am the black guy of the group. Hi, Kiva. I'm John Kepner and I'm the white guy. And Kiva and I um, like the letter K, K for Kiva, K for Kepner, but more importantly, K for the K factor, which stands for knowledge. And this is all about having courageous conversations to bring knowledge, bring education to people. That's right. It's all about that, John. And I really appreciate you being here and joining, joining in this, uh, this uh, quest to just open up society and open up everybody's mind. There's a lot of things that's been going on in, in our society today. I, I always like this quote by Dr. Martin Luther King, and I think it's, it will help set the stage for what we're about to do today. And Dr. King said, people don't get along because they fear one another. People don't get along because they fail to communicate with one another. And I think the, uh, you know, this Courageous Conversation podcast is going to allow us to have in-depth conversations uh, to promote racial equity and, and justice through honest, and sometimes it's going to be sometimes difficult dialogue too, and you know making us feel a little bit uh, uncomfortable and, and a little bit vulnerable at times. And I think that's very important. You know, John and I have been having these conversations with with each other uh, over a course of several years now, and it has truly uh, deepened our relationship uh, as friends and, and um, you know as colleagues. So. I really think is, is this is a great time um, that, let, you know, that all of this has really led us to invite, you know, guests to share their own honest experiences because it's all about every storytelling, right? Everybody has a history and we all have a story to tell and we, and this is a platform to allow us to do that. So we hope that these conversations will help, help you in your own personal journeys as they have helped me and John uh, to, develop, to, to develop a better understanding about social justice and all the things that are going on in our society about racism. So, John, who's our guest today? Who do we well, have? Today? Our guest today is Marion Biglin. And um, Marion and I, Marion hosted a session on racial justice and racial equity uh, at our church five or six years ago. And um, I participated in that, as did a lot of. Uh, our parishioners. In fact, they, mm. it was so good and so powerful that people, it was a couple sessions on Sundays after, after service wow. that people stayed longer than they normally stay. Wow. Uh, and, um, and for me, it was impactful. I, I have 
confess I've been a social liberal for a long, long time, but I never really thought about white privilege. And that was one of the subjects that was addressed. Um, and not just theoretical, but the facilitated session uh, got people to think about their own prejudices and um, their own journeys. Uh, and I began to think about how white privilege actually benefited me uh, and for the first time. And um, yeah. that started me on a new journey. And so uh, I owe that to, uh, in large part, to, to Marion. We've stayed in touch and been colleagues together. And, um, and Marion, uh, I'm not going to steal more of her thunder, but Marion is, is all about teaching like we are doing now. Uh, but she has a model that's all about teaching white people mm. uh, about racial justice. So, um, Marion, could you start out by just telling us a little bit about what you are doing now, and then we'll dive into your background. Yes. Hi, John and Kiva. It's so great to be with you all. And uh, thank you Welcome. so much for having me on your new podcast. I'm so excited about what y'all are doing um, and really grateful to be a part of it. Um, so thank you. It's good to be here. Um, and John, I have to say, as you told that story, oh my God, my I just got a little warm fuzzy in my heart because that is so meaningful to hear of that impact that it had on you. And it's been a real um, uh, joy to see the actions that you have taken, the relationships you have built, um, like this, this beautiful friendship between you and Kiva and, um, and how it has showed up in your leadership, that perspective shift. So I'm really like touched to the, that I was part of that journey for you. And, and I think it's um, kind of evidence of, not evidence, but it's, it's an example of like why I do this work and it's really meaningful. I do feel like this work is kind of a calling and, and a life's purpose um, and it feels really uh, rewarding and meaningful to be able to do it. So, um, so I'm an executive coach and um, as, as my full-time day job and facilitator uh, have been doing that on my own for about six years now. My business is called Illuminate Coaching and um, stay tuned over this year in 2021. We're going to um, have a little rebrand. And so you may see me as Illuminate Collaborative as we bring on more um, colleagues into the work. And um, it's called Illuminate because I'm really passionate about helping people see what's hard to see. And um, I do that as a leadership coach with my um, kind of one-on-one -on -one leadership work where I help leaders see kind of what are the what are the narratives or limiting beliefs they might be um, harboring that are hold them back from their fullest leadership? And then in teams, I look at like, what are the organizational dynamics that may be difficult to address and look at? And how do we, comp how do we kind of boldly address them so we can move forward in more co cohesively and achieving our missions? And then with, um, with racial justice work, what I have found is that we white people um, have a hard time looking at the history of um, of racism and in particular, a system that was built into our system where white is better, otherwise known as a system of white supremacy. And um, that can be hard to look at because we can, we, it brings up a lot of tough feelings. And as a coach, I like to hold space for people to process in a way that doesn't harm people of color um, by, you know, having people of color have to like teach us and support us. Um, so that's been, that's why I'm kind of passionate about creating the space for white people to kind of do that work so they can be out in the world taking anti-racist um, action and, and try to not no longer be complicit in the system, but change the system. So that's why that's a little bit about me and I'll tell you a lot more as we dig in. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. It's been a pleasure 
you're, you're so right that John is a great connector. He's yes. a connector. And, uh, you know, I've had the pleasure of meeting you about two years ago, probably be about two years, ago, two years now that we've been uh, connected as colleagues and doing this work. So I, I really appreciate you being here today. And um, this, I think this is a historic moment for all of us. And I'm, I'm hoping uh, a year from now, we can look back on this one and say, hey, this one was the one that launched this, uh, you know, this great platform for people to have these conversations. So I wanted to, um, I wanted to talk about, you know, as, as I get into diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting work, one of the biggest challenges for me is I hear a lot of organizations say, um, you know, particularly when there's heightened moments of uh, social unrest, racial injustice, like the, the past few years that, years that we've been um, um, experiencing, that they just want to, quote unquote, do something. Mm-hmm. What, what should, t- tell us a little bit about that. Like, well, how do you feel about that? Like, because I have this concept about whether it's going to be performative versus being proactive in terms of the steps that you need to take to really make a meaningful impact. Uh, and, and in terms of changing the, the paradigm shift in, in this social justice arena. So what are your thoughts about the do something mentality? Yeah, yeah. Oof, it's a good one. Um, well, I, th- I think the desire to do something is, the, is better than the desire to do nothing. So I'm going to start there. <laughs> I want to acknowledge that desire because mm-hmm. I've seen way too long, and you probably have too, you both have seen this, this um, Oh, we're talking to like previous years. And John, this will this will echo from some of our work together. You might hear pushback. Oh, we're talking about race too much. Why are we doing this? We just need to all get along, right? So there's um, so a a rec- do something implies that people see that there's a problem, and so I appreciate that, and I want to honor that right. and, and validate that. Um, and but to your point about performative, I think there we can react. So how many statements did we see from companies like Black Lives Matter? And so we're going to do something. And then their employees and and their stakeholders are like, okay, what are y'all doing? <laughs> so so now you got to do something, right? And so I will say that um, one of the things that a, a fellow colleague of mine, um, who is a coach and consultant as well, um, she was seeing a lot of her clients say, I want to do something and I don't feel equipped to do it. I, I'm, I'm scared. I'm going to mess up. I'm scared. I'm going to cause more harm. Um, I don't, I'm scared. I'm just going to be performative and not actually backed by action, but I know I need to do something because I'm the leader. I have power and I need to do something. And so my colleague, um, uh, Michelle of leading elephants said, why don't, why don't we create a, a space for white people to process to do some inner work to help them clarify how to take meaningful action to do something. So not give them a handbook, not give them a playbook, but say, you know, you got it. You got to work through that inner stuff so you can show up more effectively with your actions and you can create an authentic action plan in, in community uh, or in, in collaboration with, um, you know, with your stakeholders um, that, that does help you do something. So that was actually the origin of our white leaders working on anti-racism course that we launched this July. Um, and we have had about 180 um, white leaders from uh, nonprofits and education organizations and, and, and more. It's, it's um, spilling out to, to additional industries now. Um, join us for four cohorts so far of this work. And so our, our model is based on a, what we call inner work and outer work. And there's a lot, this is, we did not make that concept up. Um, there, that's a concept kind of out there in this space, sure. which I think is really important. And it's this idea that like, if we don't do this inner work, like the work John was talking about where he started to see 
oh, I do benefit from white privilege. What is white privilege? Where did that come from? How do I benefit from it? If then the actions can be harmful um, that we take, they can cause more harm unintentionally if we're not kind of building our knowledge to get to the case and our self-awareness of how we are, um, you know, contributing. So, um, so that's, so that's what we try to do. And, and I, I, a teacher of mine always has, and she's in my head as I say this, there's a balance, there's a both end. We have to think about how do we not just do our own self-work, but make sure we're taking action because the self-work is in service of creating a more just world. And we have to constantly be taking actions to do that. But like, how do we also um, be able to take informed, thoughtful, effective action? So I think it's a both end of like doing that self-work, building your knowledge, building your self-awareness, having yeah. accountability partners to talk about and create the plan together and then take some steps, see what you learn, yeah. keep taking more steps. But what have you found? Cause like, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Like, what are you seeing on that? I, I, I agree. I think, <laughs> I think that, I think the something that you just described it, the something that you need to do first is, is acceptance, right? You know, so I have this acronym, you know, that I think is very important before you act and act is you need to first accept, then you need to commit. And then there needs to be transparency in, in your communication. Yeah, I love that. But, but the first thing you need to do is, you know, you, you, you know, I, we need to do something as an organization. Well, I, as a leader, and so I'm glad you're doing these these trainings, you know, uh, uh, you know, for uh, uh, white leaders to actually do some self work because that's one of the things that is the challenge. It's the leaders of the organization that want to do something and then they don't do something. Right. right. <laughs> so what I mean by that is you you put you put uh, things in place for uh, members of your organization to you know, make sure that you're doing DEI work and develop these committees and do all these initiatives. And then you don't show up to the trainings. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm working now to look at, should, should I even take consultant projects where the executive director or the CEO is not willing to engage because they'll reach out to us. And then when it's time to do the actual work, um, there is no commitment um, to mm. do that. So I, I like your I like your balance. There is a dichotomous nature of you know you got to do. You, it's great that that they're willing to do something, but what is the something? And I think yeah. it should start with authentic, uh, in, internal you know you know healing on 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 behalf of us all. But it really needs to be authentic an authentic approach to doing the work. John, what what are your thoughts? Well, Marion, I want to put Marion on the spot here right away. <laughs> um, in your own personal experience, mm-hmm. um, can you give us an example? And maybe you do this in your training. Can you give us an example of uh, your own building of self-awareness uh, that that was impactful for you? And maybe mm-hmm. that influenced you in terms of what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm a walking example of what not to do um, <laughs> because, and then ultimately what you can do, there's hope for all of us. I'm a walking example of that um, because I was trying to do something and it wasn't effective and I didn't understand why. And I'll give you, I'll, I'll tell you that story and it's on my website too. So <laughs> I can say it publicly, um, but it's, um, I, I'm going to go back a little bit into like my story, kind of how I, you know, started to see this work. Um, When I was growing up, I would notice around me, like just differences across race and nobody was talking about it. 
and I got this message that we weren't allowed to talk about skin color and race, but I would see, um, you know, we'd go to my grandparents country club and it was all white guests. And then it was all black people serving us. And, um, I would drive through the quote poor neighborhood of town and it was where the black people lived and our neighborhood was a quote good neighborhood and there were no black people. Same thing played out with schools. And so I was in church, right? Very segregated in spite of living in a city that was not actually segregated and was very, it was in the South. So there's a lot of, it was very black, white. Um, and I was, I didn't like what I was seeing and it felt wrong to me. And I would ask my parents and I would ask, you know, my teachers, like, why, why is this? And, and I just never got any good answers. It was just kind of like, oh, it's just the way it is. Or, you know, all people are good. We love all people. And I'm like, but that's not what, why you know, just nothing was satisfying. And so I decided to study history in college. And the more I started to learn about how we got here, it was time to graduate. I was like starting to piece things together. And then I, I was like, what am I going to do? I want to keep on this journey of like trying to like figure this out and try to do my part to like stop this inequity I see across race. And so I've uh, joined um, an organization that's all about equity and education. And I became a teacher and then I became a leader of that organization. And so next thing you know, I'm in my young thirties and I am leading a group of teachers who are working in low-income black and brown schools. And I was, didn't know what the heck I was doing. Like I didn't have a schema for why were the poor kids we were teaching in this large city, um, why were, why were those the black and brown kids? Like what caused this? I didn't understand that in spite of having tried to figure it out. And what was the impact of, um, of kind of a, well, so we were having issues in our teacher group around, um, around diversity and culture. And I was trying to lead a session around it and I was failing miserably and not getting anywhere. And I remember I had this attitude of like, can't we just all get along? We're all here for the right reasons. And that was not working. And a black teacher in our, in our group came up to me and he looked at me and he said, you just have to, he said, you don't get it. And I was like, what? And he's like, you just don't get it. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, exactly. You do not understand um, the, the institutionalized racism. And until you understand that and understand why these schools that we are teaching in are the schools where the black and brown kids are, then you will, this organization and you will never do right by kids. And it felt like a stab in my heart. And I remember feeling, oh my God, like he's, he's right and I don't know what I don't know, but I don't know what to do. And so I'm sure, I don't remember, I don't remember this part conveniently, but I have a feeling I probably was very defensive trying to justify my leadership and trying to justify, you know, that I was the right person to do this. Cause I was there. I mean, I wasn't going to quit at that moment. And, um, but I really thank him because he, he mirrored back to me something that nobody else had ever said to me that directly. And, I had this sinking suspicion that he was right. And so I actually, I wish I could say, it'd be such a beautiful story if I could say the very next day, I went and found an anti-racism training and started my journey. No, I sat on it for about five years mm -hmm. in shame. And, and I bought a book called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria by Dr. Beverly Tatum, Daniel Tatum. But I was too scared to read it. <laughs> Cause I was like, oh, I don't, it's going to be so uncomfortable to like find out what he meant. And it sat on my bookshelf and stared at me for five years. And then mm -hmm. I was on a different team and my manager said, we need to take on 
we need to start talking about diversity. And I want us to do a book club. And I said, great, can we read this book? <laughs> and so I pulled it off the shelf and she said, yes, I would love to read that book. I've already read that book. It's great. And so I guess a learning from that is I think there's a myth that we have to do this alone. And like, yeah. I'm a person that does things in community. I learn in community. I process in community. I talk things through um, probably why I'm a coach. Cause I like to create that space for others now, but I was scared to do that work by myself. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what to do. And so the invitation to like learn alongside other people was exactly what I needed. And that was the first like real conversation based in the wisdom of Dr. Tatum that yeah. started me on a new path. And, um, it's, and, and I would say that was the moment in my journey. Um, thank you to this young man, Charles, and thank you to my manager who said, let's read the book. <laughs> so um, it's a journey. And that was the origin of mine. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think, I think you, you named, you nailed one of the, one of the roadblocks that I see in doing this work to uh, continue on the journey to authenticity and acceptance. And that's denial. Yeah. It's denial and it's deflection, you know, and, and so when those things, because it's hard, I'm learning, you know, I teach a course at Rutgers called uh, Diversity and Oppression. And the very first two weeks, we strip the students, we, we start to get them uncomfortable by exposing them to some of the historical uh, atrocities uh, of, you know, of American culture when it comes to race in this country. And one of the one of the uh, PBS films that they have to watch and analyze is called Slavery by Another Name. And it really, really dives deep into slavery is, is over. And it talks a lot about convict leasing and how institutional racism and incarceration, even in 2021, is still right. a, a, a form of slavery, but, but it's just called something different. And it's and just to students, you can start seeing them just the weight just fall off of them module by module. Um, but the one that really, really breaks the denial and deflection is when we ask the students the question, and I'm going to pose it here, is do you think that you are responsible for your ancestors' actions? You're asking me that question? Yeah. Um, yes and no. Did I, did I do what they did? No. And, and, but am I responsible for, um, for, you know, addressing the impact of what the ancestors did, the white ancestors did? Yes. And so I love, I don't know if y'all read cast by Isabel Wilkerson, but she has this mm. fantastic analogy of like, we're all living in this old house and it has like faulty wiring and not enough insulation and leaky pipes but we love the house because it has a lot of character and a lot of great assets, but it, the infrastructure was done wrong. And mm. we are living in that house now and we are responsible for fixing it, even though we did not cause the, the problem pipes. I do live in an old house now. And if I looked at this, if I looked at the leaky pipes and the, actually we have really bad wiring in the front room that we're about to address. And if I was like, oh, well, I didn't put that wiring in there. So that's not my problem. No. Yeah. So, and, and am I going to feel guilty about the fact that whoever built this helps put the wrong wiring in? No, is that's not helpful. What I have to do is fix the wiring. So I love that analogy because I think 
I think um, we can't take on the shame and the burden. We can get stuck in the shame spiral. Brene Brown calls it a shame spiral. Uh, Mm. Once we start to see like, oh shit, I hope I can curse on this podcast. Like, oh shit, once you you start to see what the ancestors did and I have some harm caused in my ancestry for sure. And when I've, and it was hard to see that it was never discussed in my family, but like that was hard to see and to acknowledge, but I, I can't get stuck in that shame. I have to do the work of undoing the legacy that was left. And it wasn't just my family. It was a gazillion um, white families. And lest we listeners point our fingers at the Southern harm causers who owned slaves, enslaved people, I should say, um, the North was just as complicit in buying the goods. And one of the biggest um, slave holding right. uh, areas was New uh, Rhode Island. That's so right. like there, we, it's real fun to have this North South kind of po- finger pointing and we got to get out of that because we all were complicit. We all <laughs> contribute. That's, That's right. right. Your, uh, your, your question, Kiva, uh, brings up to my mind, reparations, the subject mm. of reparations. So yes. I had never, ever thought about that topic at all until the last six months. And uh, when I first thought about it, I thought, you know, it's so complicated to do something about it. You know, I, I don't think that's really a legitimate issue. We need to look forward, yeah. you know, not backward. And, um, and then I realized that that was uh, an easy cop out, a way to deflect it too easily. Yesterday, I was listening to um, the first in a series of conversations uh, that Obama is having with Bruce Springsteen. And they started talking about reparations. Springsteen asked him, what do you think about reparations? Mm. And, and he very much better than he was, you know, a very eloquent, good thinker. Um, he, he, he started out by saying the rationale have to accept the rationale of why reparations is important and needs to be addressed. Then the question, so, so that's an education process. That's getting people to understand why, why we need to go, go back and do something about it, why we need to look backwards and do something about it. Um, but then he said, then I could put my practical hat on, how do we get it done? You know, taking action. And he said, you know, we're not, as a country, we're not we're not ready to do anything. He's a practical politician. You know, how do you do it from a political standpoint, a legislative standpoint, so forth? How do you say we're just not there yet that we can we're capable of doing it as a society? But the first thing is to accept that it's that it's needed. That's right. And and the rationale behind it. Wow. Yeah. And I think yeah. it takes a, a knowledge to, to I love the K that y'all are starting with this because there's there's a knowledge of like the rationale of why it's needed in terms of how systemic wealth was passed down because of laws that restricted people of color, black and indigenous people of color to access the wealth generation. I mean, I always do this in my workshops and it, it's, it's really eye-opening that like when you really just see that like in 1790, one of the first laws of our nation of our young nation was the Naturalization Act that 
made that said only white people could be citizens. And if you think about what that means and you pause and you ask people, what does that mean? What, what, what benefit did then only white people get? And people start to think, oh, well, only white people could own land. Only white people could vote. And, and we were talking men as well, but the men part wasn't written in, but it's that part of the constitution. But all that said, it's like, oh, you can see from the very beginning, we did not allow people of color, even if they were um, at that point indentured servants who had bought or, you know, who are freed, freed enslaved people, even if they had their freedom, they couldn't own land. So there yeah. you go. Right from the beginning, we have set up this wealth inequity that yeah. we see play out today. Well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that, Marion, because I think the social narratives that existed back then continues to, yeah. to, to some extent to today, because, you know, Thomas Jefferson had this whole uh, push towards race science. And, you know, science is really built upon solid evidence and you have to prove it. Uh, you know, you throw an apple up, Newton's law of gravity, you throw an apple up, every time it's going to come down. But race, his race science theory, he wanted, he wanted scientists to go out and, and, and um, rationalize why Blacks are, were inferior than whites. And it wasn't about, it, there was no science behind it. There was no genetic uh, rationale behind it. They couldn't find it. There was no biological evidence to say that there was some inferiority uh, between the two races. The two common things that they were using race science to do is to capture land and labor. Right. Absolutely. Land and labor of the people. So if, 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 we, if we come up with race science and we, and we say that, yes, my scientists say that Blacks are, are inferior than whites, then we have the right to right. subjugate them. And right. so, and it just didn't happen with uh, people of color, it happened with Native Americans That's too. Right. The you can same take thing. your land, yep. Yeah, land and labor. So mm-hmm. um, that's a, a good point that you that you that you raised there. My, um, we have a a great uncle of mine was a uh, historian, and um, he uh, was a high school historian. And he and another man by the name of Faulkner wrote a um, American history book for use in high schools that was sold all over the country. It was a very, it was the text. And so I got mm. it out the other day mm. uh, after not looking at you to see how much attention was given in the book to the subject we're talking about, historical basis for, you know, and um, there were, there were about three pages near the end of the book about social issues. That was it. So, so we've had generation after generation, uh, and there was probably nothing wrong in the book, the historical accounting of the Civil War and everything else. But there was probably been, I, I would guess, generation after generation of Americans educated in, in a very shallow way and sometimes in a racist way that, that's, that's been passed on generation to generation. Just yeah, with, with a lot omitted, right? Like with a lot omitted. Like, yeah, that, that was the you, point. You see that you. I mean, I I learned that the Naturalization Act, seventeen ninety, but you don't. We are we're not taught to pause and think. What are the implications of a law that says only exactly. white people can own land? 
And then we don't like, we don't put the dots together. Right. And our, and so there was a lot omitted and you're right. In some cases, like really um, uh, stereotyped in a way that is, is problematic. <laughs> like, so a lot of messages and, and to your point, Kiva about, um, you know, the science, um, the, I mean, you, it just made me think about the reality that kind of blew my mind when I first heard it, that race is not a thing it's made up <laughs> like, yeah. and it was made up in order to justify the land and yeah. the labor um, power grab and dominance and control. And so they yeah. had to try to think of some way to like categorize, but it's really liberating that modern science, like the genome project has said, we're 99.9% biologically the same. So yeah. there's actually, um, and so fortunately, you know, we have debunked all of that bad science, but this is the legacy that we're dealing with. This is why it's hard right now, because this is five, five, yeah. 400, 500 years of that programming that we have all breathed. As people talk about it, like the water we're swimming in, like you, it's the fish doesn't notice the water. You have to like zoom out and say, what is this? What are all the messages I've absorbed? What are all the like things that I just took for face value? And that's part of that work of like looking at it and having these kind of conversations. Yeah. Debunk, right. I like your word, debunking, debunking that social narrative, because that's, I, yeah. I think, you know, that's what it is. It's like the repetition of, of a thing. Like, you know, I define race science as a man-made idea made to appear real. Yeah. And if you keep repeating that, if I, yeah. you know, if I keep saying something is, you know, and I have power and I'm part of the power structure in society, I'm not sure if you've ever seen the movie, The Book of Eli with yeah. Denzel Washington. It's a really good movie that shows you about when one person controls knowledge and information. Well, whatever, I'll give you the, the backdrop of it. It's apocalypse world. And this one guy, Gary Oldman, he has all of the books in the world. And that's why he has power over the people. But he has one book he's trying to get. And that book Denzel Washington has. And guess what book it is that he has? The Bible. I was going to say, I was, I was like, say. the Bible? Yeah. So he has the Bible. Yeah, see, this courageous conversations. Let's just jump right in and say it. So he has the Bible. And so Gary Ullman is going nuts trying to get this Bible from Denzel because he knows with Denzel having that book, he has history and he's, mm. the, he, he's the only man that's walking around the earth that he cannot control. And so I think it's so knowledge that like we talked about knowledge, the K factor and how important yeah. knowledge is. And so- these, you know, by doing these things and, and whoever creates the social narrative is this sense of believability. That's why I, I believe that it's very important for us to seek out our own history about mm -hmm. who we are as a people. And so, yeah. Well, Marion, as you, as you uh, teach white people, uh, what are, what works and what doesn't work? What are, what are the challenges of getting mm -hmm. this knowledge to people so that they are transformed by it? Yeah. Um, so I've, I, what I have learned has been from many teachers I have had. So I just want to acknowledge people who've taught me stuff. Um, I, and, and maybe to that point, as I shared about my own story about being in community, I have learned that that's really powerful. And it's, uh, I think it's a, it, it can seem really peculiar to have a white only learning space. Um, and, and, it, you know, people are like, Ooh, is that, is that okay? Like, what are these, what are these white people doing over there? 
And so I think a couple things, it's really important to when there is a white learning space to be in accountability to people of color. So we have an advisor on our course, um, Beloved Community is a black owned um, consulting business in New Orleans and they um, are our partners and they review our curriculum and they let us know like, this is what we want, you know, like they give us a lot of advising so that we are in accountability to them. Um, and we, uh, we feature a lot, we, we feature a lot of um, black and indigenous people of color voices in our um, series and we um, compensate them. So uh, the freely, things that are freely available on the internet, podcasts and their writings, but we, we always pay back and con- you know, contribute to, um, to, the, to, the, to our teachers um, who are teaching us this work. So being, accountability to pe- being in accountability to people of color is, is number one. Um, number two is that community piece I was talking about. So, so having that accountability with people of color, then we can create space where that kind of doing that work with other people can teach, can give you the space to kind of process the stuff that you're kind of burying. So we, we do a mix of some stuff. We have people, we do a lot of pre-work and then we do some kind of grounding and some shared knowledge. And then we send people to breakouts with a, with a small group that they stay with throughout the whole series. And that small group, we call their practice partners. And so they build relationships with this group of people. And so I'll give you an example. In the first session, um, we do a reflection on the messages you got about race growing up. And, um, and, and I call it the story of whiteness. Um, So really looking at, you know, who did your parents hang out with? Who, what, you know, where did you see people of color? Where did you see white people? What faces did you see represented in your books in your, in the movies, et cetera, et cetera. And you kind of like reflect on all that. And then you go into a small group and process it and share. And that's really powerful because it helps you reflect on all those things that we've kind of buried under the surface to say, and, and they come back from the group and they always say, Oh my God, that was really cathartic and liberating to just say it out loud. And now we don't want to say it out loud to like our colleagues of color, because we don't want to cause more harm by making them relive racism all all day long. So that's why it's powerful in this white space. Um, And then it can help people say, okay, I can unpack a little bit of that shame. And now I can like take a step forward to take action in the world. So it's a little bit, I love the concept of both and so like do this work in your own space and step out to take action. Um, so that's something that I've learned that is helpful. So community mm. accountability to people of color. Nice. I think you said one of the challenges too. So I can get to that, <laughs> but. I like that concept. I like that concept of a community and accountability, checking in, you know, having check, you know, check, checkpoints to make sure that what you're delivering in your curriculum is synonymous with the experiences of black yes. uh, and brown people. And so that you're, you're not doing more damage, right. Yeah. To, to your efforts, you know, in your effort to do good, you're not doing damage. So I, I really like that concept and that practice model. I think that's awesome. If you think about all the interactions that you had, Marion, with, with white people in your trainings, what are some of the common questions? And, you know, I know we're doing this virtually but prior to, you know, pre pre COVID, I could imagine after your session, People will come up to you because I get that all the time when I'm training. People will come up to me and ask me questions about the, some of the work and some of the content. What is like what is one of the common questions that um, folks would ask you post training session? I think what one of them is own? what you hit on early on, which is like, what do I do? Like once people start to see they want they want an action plan, they want like, give me the list. 
And they're yeah. fortunately, you can Google what are things white people can do. And, and people of color have put together very helpful lists. There's a wonderful list called 75 actions that white people can take in support of racial justice. So there's, there's many, many resources out there to help people know what to do. Um, I think that what do I do comes from a paralyzing yeah. um, moment of like an overwhelming moment where it feels. And so what I say is like you, so that's, that can be a, um, a question of like, how, where do I start? What do I do? It's like, it's so overwhelming. It's like, take yeah. one step forward <laughs> and take yeah. one foot after yeah. the other. Right. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That's one question. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, to uh, Recently, someone that I know and respect uh, started a conversation uh, by saying, I'm not racist, a white person. I'm mm -hmm. not racist. Now, I, I have this philosophy that you can't grow up in this country and not be racist. Right. In the, in the broadest sense. It's what you do about it and how you deal with your attitude. Because things get, the narrative just gets ingrained in you from when you were a little, right. little boy or a little right. girl. Right. right. So in my definition of being racist, um, that that makes me think, well, have you really thought about it? And, you know, but, but in, in a quick conversation, you know, so I didn't know how to deal with that. So I deflected, I go to, I go to the subject matter that we're talking about and, and, and try to get some points made uh, in the, the topic we're discussing, but what, what, how would you answer that question? Or have you encountered that kind of? Oh yeah. hundred yeah. um, <laughs> percent. And that there's landmines there for sure. I'm thinking about a, a yeah, yeah, yes, definitely have encountered that that question. Kind of depends on, for me, like who who is it of how I'm going to respond. But one of the things I've really learned from a lot of my teachers is this idea that we as white people cannot. My teacher, this one woman I learned from, Laura Brewer, she says we we can't use the tools of white supremacy on other white people, meaning shaming, controlling, finger pointing trying to dominate, trying to be better than. And so it's a real challenge, but we have to come at that person with love and empathy and recognize that I used to think that too. I mean, it, like, so, so, and one of a wonderful person that I, I would love for you all to get on your podcast is a um, teacher named, doc, a author and speaker <clears throat> named Dr. David Camped. And he has a model that he calls the race model. So it stands for reflect, ask, connect, and expand. And what that means is you first have mm. to take a deep breath and reflect and get yourself in a position to kind of engage. And the A is to get curious. And he says, um, uh, you know, curio uh, well, curiosity before challenge, right? So, so you, you say, um, you know, ask, oh, well, what did, what can you tell me? Oh, that's so interesting. Can you tell me what, what makes you say that or what, what you mean? So just get curious and that's the A. And then they're going to say something. Oh, well, I really love all people. I don't see color. You know, I would never harm someone, which gives you a data point of like, oh, they think racism means individual acts of hatred against someone, mm -hmm. which is what I used to think too. Right. John, did you used to think that I would imagine? Yeah. Well, in the, during the civil rights era, my mindset was that's a battle that has to be fought and won. And after it's won, that's it. Oh, it's over. Right. It's so either over. it's, it's a battle that's over or it's an individual act. And so, so mm -hmm. whatever you find out from their answer, 
then you try to make a connection to it. So for me, I did used to think that I would think I was not racist because I did not have any conscious negative thoughts about people of color. And I was kind to people of color, you know, so in my mind, I was not racist. Mm -hmm. So I would, I, so I would connect to that person and say, you know what? I used to think that too. And, you know, when I grew up, da, 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 da. So I tell a personal story Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. kind of softens them and helps them see, oh, okay. She's not attacking me. And then the E expand is expand their thinking. So, you know, I've now come to see that we are all living in this system, blah, 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 you know, and figure out where, what exactly, what points to say. But I, I, I cannot take credit for that model. Shout out to Dr. David Camp. No, he is brilliant. But it's a nice, what we do is we go straight to the expand and we usually do it from like a telling teaching and we, and we don't ever get to that connect. And so the person can't hear us. And Kiva, you brought up denial earlier. (laughs) So nobody wants to be a racist. And so they might, I mean, most people don't. So they're going to deny, 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 push back, push back. And then you're just in a, in a fight. So that is a tool I have found helpful. Now, the reason I said at the beginning, it depends on who I'm talking to, because I will say it's, it's harder if there's a a relationship that is deep there. So that's a, that's a way easier conversation for me to have with a stranger than like, you know, with the beloved family member. Right. (laughs) So, so, although it's really important that I have it with a family member. So I just naming that, that like, um, you know, it's, um, we, we gotta, we gotta take that on. And I really appreciate Dr. Camp for giving me that tool and the world, that tool. That's awesome. It sounds like one of the, uh, one of the things that I I have a similar model is called ask when I teach uh, uh, raising awareness in a multicultural workplace you know, when I go into social service agencies and teach this discourse and it's asking, and it's always seeking knowledge. When you mm. see something different, or, you know, instead of, instead of making assumptions, instead of judging, instead of in the workplace gossiping about that person, you know, you should ask, you should always seek knowledge and, and you can get to better understand every individuals. You know, we think about, um, you, you mentioned earlier, Marion, about the repeatedness of, 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 you know, some of these histories and, and, and how it could be trauma provoking uh, for uh, you know a lot of people to kind of revisit these errors in in, in life in our history and in our society. I think that's a big piece, you know, uh, vicarious trauma and understanding how you know maybe that's why some people don't really want to want to touch these subjects because on the inside, uh, I call it the silent the silent impact of traumatization. They may, they may seem fine on the outside and everything looks well when you're having these conversations, but in the inside, it's just, it's just ripping them apart mm, to, yeah. you know, to really think that. And particularly if, if they have had some racist tendencies in the past, you know, and so we have to look at it. I agree that at some point in time, we all have some, have had racist tendencies. I know I have. Um, when Roots came out, it just, it, it was, it was a mess. For me in high school mm. uh, because I went to all white high school number one and then when Roots came out I really saw the the uh, the atrocities of, of of you know white people white men yeah. and then in my community the cops were you know not the best friends and so I, I carry you know um, not so good images and here I am now partnering <laughs> with, with my good friend John and it takes years. It takes years to deprogram it and, and, and mm. move those images out of your mind. I always yeah. tell a story. You know, I live in a pretty decent neighborhood today, uh, but I grew up in the inner city of New York. And I used to get stopped by the cops all the time because of racial profiling. 
So here I am, 56 years old. I got my valid driver's license. My car is paid for and I got car insurance. But every time I pass a cop car, I instinctively, and I say it internally, I'm not going to look in my rearview mirror, but I instinctively find myself looking in my rearview mirror to make sure that I'm not, the cop is not turning around to come, you know, because of all of my experiences with being pulled over. So I think the same thing can, can occur while, while people don't want to address these issues, but we have to have these conversations. And so what advice would you, would you give to someone, um, you know, to engage in these type of discussions? What, you know, I know you said some, some, some things, you know, and from a communal standpoint, if somebody came up to you and said, you know, I really feel bad. I got this guy on my job. Um, he's, he's an African-American and he, you know, he said something that I didn't feel was comfortable and I really want to approach him and kind of, you know, find out more about him. How do I go about doing that? I don't want to offend him and I don't want to be offended and I just don't want to let it go because it's been eating me up for the mm. last two weeks. So what advice would you would give, would you give that person? Yeah. Um, I guess I'd want to understand more about like, what is, what's the fear? What, what, and I hear in that, like a care, like you don't want to hurt, offend someone. So like, I want to know more about like, what was the thing that, that what made them feel a certain way? Um, you know, what, what are they feeling when they said it, you know, I couldn't get it out, like get rid of it. Like, well, what is the thing? And, and, and kind of check in on their motives. Are they trying to learn more and be curious? Are they trying to like correct someone? Like I want to, and, and maybe help them kind of see how, uh, oh, th- this reminds me of an idea of like, you know, the, they may have a really good intent for going to talk to that person, but like, what would the impact be? And so help mm. them see that so that, yeah. um, cause I, they, you know, probably don't want to, this person says they don't want to offend, they don't want to cause harm. So let's help them see like, well, what's, what's your real, what's your real goal? And I would kind of think about that. Um, and I think, and, and I want to, I want to go back and just like, thank you for the story you just shared, because sure. I know that like, that's a thing that like, when we grow up or stay in only white spaces, that's a thing we can be, we can be in denial that that actually is someone's lived experience. And yet that is the lived experience of so many people of color. And so I'm really grateful for you to share, sharing that story because there's a, there's a dichotomy of like, I, we don't need to expect people of color to teach us, which is why I, t- I want to take it on in the white spaces. And we need to also not center our own experience because we have not lived racism. So we cannot judge what it's like to be a black person. I will never know that. And so I'm really grateful for you and for the people who do publicly share their stories so that we can learn and, and see that and see that humanity. And, and those are the moments where we go, that is not okay. I had a very pivotal moment for me in seeing that was when a colleague of mine um, told me about her 14 year old son. She lives Mm. in the Philadelphia area in a suburb and they had just moved to this new suburb and, um, predominantly white suburb. And they hadn't gotten to meet all their neighbors yet. And her 14 year old son was coming home from hanging out with some friends on a Friday night. So it was dark and he was using his key to open the door, um, you know, like 10 o'clock at night or something. And a neighbor um, called the police and she woke up to a commotion and come, she, it was a townhome. She's on the third floor and her son was on the floor with, with cops, um, you know, uh, on his neck and behind him, you know, pinned down on the ground. And she's screaming, like, what are you doing in my house? And they asked her for her license to prove that she lived there. And her husband is a state trooper. <laughs> and she was like, my husband is so-and-so cop and you better, you know, and then they kind of chilled out. But like, 
I, and I thought at that moment when she told me this, I'm like, that would never happen to my son, that my son would never be mistaken for opening a door and, and a neighbor thinking he was breaking in. And it just broke my heart. And, and, you know, I think about this Kiva with like proximity and the friendship that you and John have built is so important because if we stay in our own little bubbles, we never get to hear those stories because that takes trust. Right. That takes friendship to actually be able to be safe and brave to, or, or it takes a relationship and a trust to be able to like share those vulnerable stories. And that's a gift that someone shares that story with us. Like I appreciate it. So I wanted to thank you for sharing yeah. that story because you don't have to share yeah. that story with me. And you did. And I honor that because, and, and so what are we doing to create authentic, real friendships and be aware of our own blind spots, that's a really important like lesson to take away. Like I, I remember, sorry, I'm talking so much. It's so fun. Um, I remember moving into my very diverse neighborhood or my diverse neighborhood that I was super excited, chose this neighborhood for a reason. And I just thought magically I'd have all these black friends because I lived in a diverse neighborhood. And I remember being like, why is no one calling me to hang out? And why haven't I met the black friends that I see walking around my neighborhood? And I realized like, building authentic relationships across race takes some work. It takes, because there is a, there understandably white people yeah. haven't been safe for people of color. And so when someone, when there is that trust and safety and relationship built and someone can share their story with me, I'm just deeply humbled and, and know, and, yeah. you know, appreciate the um, connection there. So. That That's awesome. We're, uh, we're running yes uh, a little late but I, I wanted to ask you one more question before we wrap up yeah sure. you have young children right how they, old are you they are no longer young but they are <laughs> teenagers now <laughs> well when mm -hmm. you're my age that's still young but Kiva so has how, young children right years are young yeah how how do you have conversations how do you approach these subjects with your children yeah. Well, there's a lot of really great resources and books out there. So in the interest of time, I do want to tell people, check out books. There's um, there's a great one by Jennifer Harvey. I'm looking on my bookshelf. Is that her name? Harvey, I think. It's called Raising White Kids. Um, mm. And... There's a, there's a really great podcast called, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of resources out there now um, that people can Google and find, and maybe we could put them in the show notes. Um, but one of the biggest things is to like, talk about it. Don't make it taboo. Um, when, when I was growing up in, you know, in the seventies and eighties, it was like, well, we don't talk about race. Oh yeah. Why? Mm -hmm. You know, like talk about it. Kids notice skin color. There's been lots of studies on this. And so if we don't talk about it, then they learn it's something they can't talk about. And then they can't talk about the feelings and the inequities they see, and they don't have a language for it. So we're just like, we're just like doing them a disservice by not just talking about it. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned that because um, a project I'm working on, uh, a, a black man suggested that um, uh, it's we've got a 400 year old, more than a 400 year old problem. Yeah. We're not mm. going to solve it tomorrow right that our approach needs to be um a deliberate patient but deliberate you know i mean we can we have to really move forward but but the next generation you know the, the or my case is two generations the young people of today are observing this yes you know i observed uh, the crowds over the summer the protests were a lot of young people and I see just in other areas, the gun control issue. So, so reinforce as parents and grandparents reinforcing it with our children. It's too bad that we're leaving them with a legacy like this, but they're the future. 
Yeah. So concentrating on the children as well as our peers and so forth, I think is important. Yeah. And wow. I just want to add something to that. Like modeling is really important. Like do, do you talk about it and then put your, put your beliefs in action. Do you, mm-hmm. do your kids see you having friendships that are, that are across yeah, observing relationships? Your, yeah, right. Good point. Um, I'm really grateful that my parents <clears throat> made sure that I went to a diverse public high school. Um, think about the choices you're, you know, managing for your kids when they, when, when they're doing what, you know, when they're younger and have to do what you tell them to do. Mm-hmm. Are you creating, are you consciously living in a, in a diverse place? Are you sending your kids to a school that is diverse? I mean, they, these, these actions matter and, um, are, are they, you know, and what are they seeing in your behaviors and your actions? I think that's really important. Um, and something I try to do and model for my kids. And I think it's, I'm really proud of, of um, where they are and how they see the world. And they, now they are teaching me and I'm grateful for that. Wow. I just want to thank you, Marion, for coming on and, and joining us. I know you did give us some, some book recommendations. So we would love to, to yeah. get a list of those so we can uh, post in the end notes here. Awesome. Um, and yeah, so I, th- I think, um, I think this was great. I think it was great. I really, was inspired by our conversation. And, you know, my philosophy is, you know, when you tell your story, hearing hills, you know, healing, hearing hills. And then, you know, when people hear your story and you tell your story and you're hearing it again, it's, it's, it's part of that healing process for us all. So, yeah, this is, and, was you know, awesome. um, I would just add one takeaway for me is that we're just scratching the surface. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I mean, That's right. 45 minutes, we covered a lot of territory, but there's a lot more to yes, cover. Absolutely. Um, it's always, awesome. I, I want to make sure to like name that for your listeners. Like this is an ongoing life's learning and work. And I may be coming across yeah. like, oh, I have all these things figured out. I'm still learning. Yeah. I still mess yeah. up. And I'm so grateful for the continued dialogue um, to, you know, do this work with you all. So congratulations on your podcast awesome. and thanks for having me be part of it. And Kiva, oh, I always love for... hearing about your work and your, how you Same see the here. world and taking away um, ACT and, and uh, I love it and ask hey, and all your models. We are, we are, we are, we are, we are just sharpening each other as we go along through these journeys. I learned a lot from you as well. Thank you for those book recommendations and just your approach to the work. And I think it's really a great approach when um, you talk about the the um, the dichotomous nature, the and you got to do something and you know do something. It's not yeah. just a one sided thing. So yeah. thank you so much for being here. Well, that's 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 a good this a good way it's to, wrap. to wrap this yeah. up and, and thank everybody <laughs> for listening to our show. Please join us again for another courageous conversation on our journey or our race to social justice. Be sure to watch and listen to us. Uh, for future upcoming shows. Uh, and we appreciate everybody for being here. Thank you so much, Marion. Thank you, John. Yeah. Appreciate you, sir. Bye, Marion. Awesome. Bye. Thanks, guys. Take care. Yeah.